Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And it's a jam-packed show because we finally saw what a Nick Casario draft looks like. Do we like it? You're about to find out. We'll get to this positive Astro stretch. And I want to address the hits I'm taking on Twitter about one young Rockets player who had a breakout game. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, it's good to hear your voice because you lost it for a few days, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much, Robert. It's not 100%, but uh, you know, I, I guess what it was is I was doing so much screaming at uh, the Astros and Dusty Baker, you know, screaming at him to please let your starters go longer. Uh, I was screaming at Nick Serio, but you know, my voice was getting better by the time the draft happened, so... I tried to refrain you know, from doing that, but I guess I'm just following in the same pattern of consistency of, you know, the, the Rockets and all the injuries they've had this year. You know, just just trying to keep it consistent on the Houston sports map, Robert. That's all. You know, I'm thinking about it. If I still had any passion for the Texans, I, I might have lost my own voice yelling at the TV during the draft. Are you with me on this one? <laughs> Yeah, you know, history is is definitely not on the Texans' side as far as, you know, drafting a quarterback past the third round on two different levels. I mean, in the last 20 years, Robert, you've had 178 quarterbacks that have been selected in the third round or later. Only five have made it to a Pro Bowl or been a starter for at least three seasons. Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, Nick Foles, and the Texans' very own Tyrod Taylor. I mean, five of 178, Robert. And then, of course, you look at the Texans. You've got guys like Tom Savage. You've got Dave Ragone. You've got, I know there are a couple others thrown in there that haven't exactly shined for the Texans. So it just, you know, I don't put 100% stock in history, but man, when you look at it, it's, it's hard to ignore. Yeah, you did mention Tom Brady on that list, and he's another guy that you can point to, six-round draft choice. And, you know, sure, there there are instances, there are uh, times when it happens, but it's a small percentage of the time. And it just kills me, Stephen, because it just took me all of one draft pick, one draft pick before I was totally disappointed by Casario. And with about 10 major upgrades that they needed on defense, Casario takes the eighth quarterback in the draft. You know, you just you don't have eight quarterbacks that are selected. So this is the guy that everybody thought was the eighth best quarterback in the draft. And hey, if Mills, if he turns out to be a top five or ten quarterback who takes you to a Super Bowl, I'll tell you what, Stephen, I'll buy steak dinners for every one of our listeners. You you heard yeah, it here. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's it's on tape. What is today? May third. So make sure you mark that date down, Robert, because you may have to uh, you may have to pay up on that. No, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it was actually the third or fourth round is what I meant. Because, yeah, Tom Brady was in the sixth round. But either way, history's not on the Texans' side. And I, I just, you know, I, I don't understand what, not only is it the pick that I don't understand, Robert, I just don't understand this culture that the Texans seem to thrive in of how they impart their reasoning for doing things like this draft pick. You know, when, when you when you hear Nick Casario in – the press conferences and it just it, and the phrasing he uses about creating better competition and and then when you hear him describe Davis Mills when you hear him talk about he has pretty good size he's fairly accurate he makes 
fairly good decisions. Does that inspire confidence in you, Robert, to say that the Texans believe they have picked the next franchise quarterback? I mean, I don't think so. And, and it's just how vague he is. So I don't even understand the, the way they're trying to impart the reasoning to a fan base who's already frustrated. And I guess Nick Casario thinks that fans don't know much about football here in Texas. Well, you know, he's from New England, so I guess that makes sense. Yeah, you could go after this on any number of levels. One of the things that I thought about was he's a traditional dropback quarterback. Steven, start naming the traditional dropback quarterbacks in the NFL that are having success right now outside of 40,000-year-old Tom Brady, who's like the outlier for everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, you know, some of the ones that I just named who have been successful, you know, you're, you're talking about like guys like Russell Wilson, uh, they're certainly more mobile. And I think that's one of the knocks on Davis Mills is he's not very mobile, which is something that the Texans have. That was one of Deshaun Watson's most valuable assets. So I don't know, you know, you got to get out on the field and I, I guess, you know, give this guy a chance to play and see what happens. But it's, it's easy for us to sit here and pick it apart now. But I think a lot of it is just the, the frustration that the Texans and their fans have had the last couple of years. And now we have the whole Deshaun Watson situation. I don't think it's any surprise that the Texans are having to move on from Deshaun. But I think it's just the, the way this whole thing came about when you had, what, five quarterbacks taken in the first round at least, and, and you're on the eighth guy, and you've got so many other needs that you can fill. Why your first pick, even if it wasn't until the third round, why do you want your first pick to be basically a project, which is really what Davis Mills is at this point? What also angers me is that there's a number of domino moves here that make literally no sense because he traded a six-round pick for the awful Bengals quarterback, Ryan Finley. Didn't understand it at the time. It's a bad guy. It's not necessary to have you know some crummy guy, especially if you're signing Tyrod Taylor. So basically... Casario trades a six-round pick for somebody who either, at this point, isn't on the roster, assuming Deshaun is traded, and I'll get to how stupid that is in a second, or he traded for a third-string quarterback, a third-string quarterback when he has a dumpster fire looking at this roster all over the place, and the Texans desperately need every lottery ticket possible to upgrade this mess with cheap help. You need every single draft choice to upgrade the roster at all these different positions. And how nuts is it, Stephen, to trade Deshaun Watson now? Because that's kind of what it's telling me. Unless he's just going to cut Ryan Findlay, you'd be selling stock at an all-time low with Deshaun facing a suspension, plus seven teams just drafted a quarterback. Some of them, you would think, have their future guy. And, and we've said before, Deshaun's value goes up once the likely suspension is over and his value also goes up when a few more teams realize in December that they don't have their future quarterback on the roster. Well, if you're going to cut Ryan Finley, then why'd you waste a draft pick on him? Even if it is a late round pick, I, I don't understand that so much. Exactly. But here's and the other thing that concerns me, Robert is yes. Tyrod Taylor is a serviceable quarterback, but he has had injury problems. So if he goes down early, so you've got Davis Mills, a guy, who's only played 11 college games to begin with. You've got Ryan Finley, who's at best a third-string quarterback, when you've got other quarterbacks, at, very, at the very least, even journeyman quarterbacks hopping around the league that could probably be just as serviceable, if not more so. 
and you don't have to waste a draft pick. Plus, you know, the, the Texans, what, they have eight draft picks coming into the into the draft, and because of the three trades, they ended up with five. So they even had fewer than when they started, and they didn't have any in the first two rounds. So, yeah, it's a head-scratcher on a, on a number of different veins, Robert, and I guess the only thing we can say right now is let, let's just get these guys on the field and see what happens the first year. Yeah, you're telling me about, well, hey, they – could go out and get another veteran quarterback. Why do we care? Why do you care? Why do we care about this year? They're not winning a Super Bowl. The defense is trash and they've done literally nothing to upgrade it except some minor moves. Maybe these guys are a hair better. All these guys that he signed in the offseason are a hair better than what was here before. They're not winning the Super Bowl this year. You want to be bad. You want to be near the top of the draft to get the quarterback of the future. I thought that was kind of the whole idea of this year is let's be bad. Let's stink. And we're, I mean, it's not like they have a choice. I mean, that's what Bill O'Brien has left them. That's what this Deshaun Watson uh, total mess has left them. You know, that's where they are right now, Stephen. So I look, I don't care about this year. Do you? No, not really. I mean, I don't. Uh, just it, it's all the unknown factor, really. Um, you know, of course, they will never publicly admit that they want to be bad this season. And I think that's, you know, more from a fan's perspective and even the media's perspective that you're going to hear. You're certainly not going to hear Nick Casario say that. But yeah, as far as this year, I, I don't think there, there's not, you know, I, I can't think of the last time that we can come into a training camp saying, man, the Texans have absolutely nothing to look forward to. I, I know last year, Bill O'Brien was still there. We didn't have much hope then, but I still didn't know the Texans really going to be that bad. Well, yes, they were. And all indications are they're going to be really bad again this year, maybe even worse because they don't have Deshaun. How many games did they win with Deshaun last year, Stephen? How many games did they win? Four? Um, let's see. One, two, three, four games? Yeah. And 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 there's no Deshaun this year and, you know, no Will Fuller. I mean, it, it, they don't have a lot of talent on this roster. And, I, you know, I know he's added a little here and a little there, but it's not much. And that gets me to my next gripe session about Nick Casario's draft. And that's the second pick. You know, he pissed me off with pick one, and then he pissed me off with pick two. And it's nothing personal against Michigan wide receiver Nico Collins, but I just got to preface it by saying, you know, he's a deep threat that you need with size, and that's great. But I don't understand trading three draft picks, fourth, a fifth, and a fourth next year for one guy which, by the way, that fourth next year, it's probably going to be a really high fourth-round pick. So you gave up a really high fourth-round pick to get this guy for a position that, as we all know, tends to be a dime a dozen in recent drafts. They're always deep in wide receivers. And if Nico turns into DeAndre Hopkins, Stephen, then I'll give it up for Casario. But one of the issues, one of the big issues with Casario's Patriots drafts was the poor job that one Nick Casario did at evaluating whiteouts. I, I Maybe it was Belichick, but it was the combination of those two. The odds that Casario, Stephen, stumbled on the next Nuke Hopkins are incredibly minute here. Yeah, I'd have to say so. And, and one of the big weaknesses, apparently, as far as Nico Collins is concerned, is route running. Well, isn't that one of the most important things that a wide receiver needs to do is learn how to run routes better? Yeah, they did need an outside receiver. That That's certainly true. Well, why couldn't they have done that with their first pick, especially as you said, and I was I was going to point this out too. It, it, the draft was pretty deep for wide receivers. Why couldn't you have made that your third round pick as your first third round pick 
and then you know filled some of the other needs. There were other quality wide receivers that, that could have been there besides Nico Collins. I mean, what is it about Nico Collins that they were so enamored with? That's you know again, it filled a need as far as what the Texans needed as an outside receiver. But I'm just not so sure about the person that's filling that role. And they got a ton of tight ends already on this roster. And then for the 20th straight draft, the Texans get a tight end in the middle rounds. Brevin Jordan better be an upgrade, better be a big upgrade over Jordan Akins, or it's another brain-dead decision to make. Kahali Waring. I mean, we, we thought he was going to be the next great biggest tight end thing. Hasn't happened yet. I, I think, uh, you know, this guy's more of a blocker. No, no, no. He is actually Jordan Akins exactly. He's not a blocker. He's a route runner. He's, a, you know, he's got a little bit of speed maybe, but, you know, he might be a perfectly good guy. I don't think he's going to be the next big thing, and I just didn't feel like tight end is something that you have to go out and spend big draft capital on a draft where you desperately need not just players, you need guys that could be starters on defense because outside of Zach Cunningham, the defense stinks. And they they need you need a starter that's a draft pick that's cheap and a future guy for a long time to come. They've got nobody. Outside of Zach Cunningham, there is nobody young and up and coming and on a cheap contract on this defense, no, there's nowhere. You can't find them. No, you really can't. And as you said, they're, they're taking flyers out on guys, I guess, that you know have a what they call prove-it years. They've got to prove that they're worthy of a bigger contract later on. That That's really what you're taking a chance on, especially with most of these defensive players. So it wasn't even until the later rounds that they finally started trying to fill defense. I know the draft wasn't particularly deep as far as offensive linemen are concerned, but you know they, they haven't even addressed that need. I mean, that's the thing is they have so many needs that the fact that they go out and draft a quarterback at the very beginning, who's a project at best at this point, yeah, it it definitely gives us something to talk about as far as how Nick Casario has done his first draft as Texans general manager, Robert. Right, and the offensive line, it's not something that I would have been too tremendously concerned about because you've got Laramie Tunsil at one position. I think Titus Howard somewhere on the offensive line is a future either guard or tackle, a solid guy. You don't have to go out and get a replacement for Titus Howard. They just traded for a tackle. To You'd assume he's going to be playing right tackle for them, the the guy with the Patriots. So you move Titus Howard inside. I assume he's going to be playing one guard position. So hopefully those two are now upgrades. Titus is better than anybody you had last year. Uh, you got maybe an upgrade at the right tackle position. You maybe got an upgrade at the center position. Down the road, you can fix that. They're easy fixes. Like I said, this year is just about, you know, let's get some guys that are good projects moving forward on defense because I keep saying this, defense, and like a wide receiver would have been fine too, but defense is really what you needed to focus on in this draft and not till the very bottom of the draft did you finally get some guys that could help you on defense. And I, I, I don't get it. And I don't understand trading three picks for a wide receiver, you know, and, and not just three picks. It's one thing if they're sixth and seventh rounders, fourth and fifth rounders to me should be starters or at least potential really good backups uh, and, 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 and a five-year cheap option on your roster going forward. 
Yeah, your fourth round picks. That's where you often find those diamonds in the rough, the fourth, fifth round picks that you know could start or, or certainly be capable backups, and that's what the Texans are have minimized themselves in doing by by trading, as we said, for a wide receiver that you know, yeah, he was a good player at Michigan, but he's he's still got some learning to do, you know, in, in running routes and some other things. He apparently he's pretty good as as far as catching the ball. But yeah, just the with the quality of wide receivers in this draft, I know that the draft wasn't exactly boiling with a lot of defensive linemen either, but there were other, you know, linebackers, cornerback, you know, secondary that the Texans could have filled some needs on in the earlier rounds than they did. I don't know. I just, I'm so disappointed in Casario already. And I didn't have a high expectation to begin with. Well, no. And, and that's what I would say is that, look, th- this was not going to be a draft that the Texans were going to make like a, and I'm not saying Deshaun Watson type, but you know, a, a move that would really shock some people and thinking, whoa, how did he manage to do that? I, I wasn't looking for that, uh, but I guess I was looking for something more conventional, <laughs> and we didn't get it. Just basic, smart decisions, and the Davis Mills one, he's going to have to live with that for his entire general managing career. That, to me, was a total reach and a prayer and whatever. And and it also says to your whole entire NFL uh, around the league saying there's no way we're keeping Deshaun Watson. So it's open season. And like I said, if he trades Deshaun before the season, it's it's got to be the dumbest thing because if you're playing poker or you're playing at a casino, you go with the odds. And the odds are he's about in as poor a position as he's ever been with Deshaun Watson. And it's only going to go up once the suspension is over with. And this thing sort of goes by the way people forget about it and it goes by the wayside. Yeah, that's certainly true. And, and that's what a lot of this is going to hinge on is what's going to happen with Deshaun. You know, is he going to get suspended by the NFL? And if so, once that's over, is his trade value going to be at, at all, you know, where you could get, some pretty good draft choices, some high draft choices for him moving forward. But right now, you know, that that's something you have to think about even in the future is what is the big picture going to look like? You know, and Davis Mills doesn't even have a quarterback at this point that I'd say he could really learn from. I mean, I guess Tyrod Taylor would be it, but you, you don't have a real mentor type of guy, I think, that could show him the ropes because he's got a lot of learning to do. And I, I feel like I've got to say this over and over again on the Deshaun situation, but if you trade him now, you're trading for draft choices where you don't know where they're going to be. Yeah, that would be a real head-scratcher if Casario tries to trade Deshaun now. I mean, why not just hold on to him? You know he's not going to play for you this year. I mean, that, I'd say that that's about as much a given as anything. So you don't have to trade him right now. Why not just let it, just let it sit? Let's see what happens. And maybe things will come out on the other side and they can at least get something decent for him. But yeah, to trade him right now, I mean, that just, to me, that would be just committing team suicide, essentially. Well, I feel like we need a palate cleanser after the Texans. So I'm going to let you talk about the Astros while I check my blood pressure. Before we move on to the Astros, I don't know if you had this on uh, later in this, but of course we we have uh, some local guys who were drafted that I know a couple of U of H players. Yeah, work? yeah. No, I'm going to go over those names at the end of the show. But I, okay. I, I wanted I wanted us to get to some positivity before I, I, I blow up here and and you're going to take me to to a hospital, Stephen, pretty soon. <laughs> well, let's hope not. We don't want that. But 
yeah, as far as the Astros are concerned, that is definitely something positive to talk about. It, the big thing that I can say, Robert, that I think has been the difference maker is that Dusty has finally decided I've got nothing to lose. Let me just let the leash out on these starters a little bit and see what happens. And guess what? The bullpen has become more rested as a result. You know, they, they ran into trouble on Sunday. They didn't sweep Tampa Bay when they had the chance, but they at least, at least took two out of three, and they've been nine and three since their bad spot in April. So there's some positive to look at for the Astros that we can point to as of right now. And, of course, they have a big series at Yankee Stadium. That's that's going to be the big thing this week, Robert, to see, A, you know they're, they're, they're going to get a warm reception, ha-ha, and B, how are they going to handle that? In all fairness to Dusty, though, the starters were going 100 pitches in like three innings, and that ended, and that's why he can go longer with them because they're not running up their pitch counts early, early, early in the game. Well, that that is a good point. And, you know, sometimes it just does take starters to round into shape a little bit of time, and it just it, it happens that way, and especially when in some cases, like Christian Javier, that were kind of behind in spring training because they were out for a significant amount of time. So that does make sense, but it is definitely paying dividends right now because not only are your starters being more effective, but it is definitely giving some rest to a bullpen that is beat up and has just been really ineffective the whole season. If you go down the Astros regulars, they're also hitting the ball very consistently this year. Um, they'd win more games if they were hitting in the clutch in some of those spots that, that that's been an issue. But if you go down the list, Guriel's got a 941 OPS. Jordan is doing typical Jordan's things. He's at 910 and, and he hasn't really started hitting homers yet. He's only got three of those and we know some more of those will be coming. Michael Brantley, 885. The machine continues. Alex Bregman is at 800 and he's hitting 286 even after struggling over the weekend. And Correa is at 798 with the two 83 average. And that's that's roughly where he's been the last couple of years. You'd like to see the OPS a little bit higher. But if you go up and down this thing, it's it's just Altuve who's who's struggled in the last few days. That's not where you'd like him to be. He's at 260 with a 661. And we went into the Kyle Tucker stuff last week and him hitting in bad luck. It might be ending here, starting to get some hits that uh, find some holes. So that's good. But this offense is really good. And usually the defense is good. And if the defense would have been the same defense that we expect from the Astros, they would have swept the Tampa series. That Sunday game was real disappointing because you had the throw from Yuli to Maldonado at the plate, which on both ends wasn't good. It, even though Maldi uh, had to reach a little bit, it, the ball was in his glove. Uh, that cost you a run for sure. And then, you know, you had some Bregman defense, which was oddly bad. Not only just bobbling a ball, but making the mistake even worse by then trying to throw it to first base. And then that cost you, I mean, that's, that was the difference in the game was the defense, Steven. Yeah. Sure. The, those two runs were definitely the difference because the Astros had the lead. And because of those two run, unearned runs, that's why they lost five to four. So yeah, with, with Bregman, that's certainly an anomaly. You're not going to see him make those mistakes that often. So it was more the defense than the pitching I'd say on Sunday, but getting to the Astros offense, you know, the, I know you and Jimmy talked a lot about Kyle Tucker probably being the the unluckiest player in the lineup. I mean, I'd have to partially agree with that. He's he's hitting the ball hard, but he's not hitting them where they ain't, as they say. And I think, as you pointed out, that's what the great players do. And, and I have noticed that it seemed like last year Kyle was spreading the ball around more 
And it, it doesn't seem, I know he's done some of that this year, but it doesn't appear to be as much as he was doing last year. I just think he, he needs to get on that a little bit more. But I, I honestly think his hitting will come around. Yuli has cooled off a little bit, but he's still having a great season. Jordan is warming up. You definitely need that to happen. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not too worried about the Astros offense. They're not hitting as many home runs as I think we're accustomed to. But, you know, maybe even that will come into play. Altuve hasn't been hitting as many. Neither has Correa. I think they're like third less in the league as far as home runs go. But all in all, you know, the the offense, I, I'm not so much worried about that. Even Miles Straw has been hitting better lately. Robert, how about that? At least to some degree. Yeah, you mentioned the home runs. That was, that's the one place where Kyle Tucker's beating everybody else on the team. He's got five home runs. You know, hopefully Tucker and, and Straw have finally got it going a little bit. The next guy they need to get going is Martin Maldonado, who's just been so awful this year. And I brought up on Twitter just uh, this little nugget, and I'm I'm wondering what you think about this. Uh, some people might not think it's a nugget, but is it time to just platoon Castro and Maldonado a little bit more? Because, look, Castro's got a 900 OPS. Uh, he he started a lot of baseball games as a catcher. He knows what he's doing behind home plate. It's not like he's bad. He's a little bit worse defensively, you could say, than Martin. But I, I even see, you know, with Martina, I, I'm, I'm even starting to see the hitting effect is fielding. I don't think he's doing really what we're used to anywhere this year. And so let Castro get a few more starts for now until Martin starts to pull it all together. Well, here's what I was concerned about, Robert, when I noticed that they were using Maldonado for the majority of the time. I mean, I really thought they were going to platoon. I thought that was one of the reasons they signed Jason Castro is that they were going to platoon more between the two. My biggest concern is I just don't know that Maldonado can hold up over a full season, you know, playing that many games. I mean, playing, well, catching is a hard position to play as much as anything. And yeah, it's not only affecting his hitting, it's starting to affect his defense. And listen, Castro's bat is not half bad. I mean, he came through with a pinch hit on Sunday in the later innings. And he's come through with a couple other hits, you know, in the early course of the season. So I don't really understand. Uh, yeah, I know that uh, Maldonado is, is kind of the, the pitcher whisperer behind the plate, just as Brent Strom is the pitcher whisperer as the pitching coach. I get that. But I just with some of these other guys, I think Castro could be getting more playing time. And I just think as the season goes along, Dusty may have no choice but to do that, especially, you know, if, if Maldonado's defense starts to sag and his hitting is continues to be as abysmal, I think that's something you're going to have to look at. But I'm just surprised it hasn't already happened. Yeah, you could say he's a pitcher whisperer, but they've had pitchers that have been struggling. They've had relievers that have been struggling. You know, it, it's Brent Strom, to me, is the key guy for all of that. Well, and certainly. And certainly. Mar Martin Maldonado, is, as far as I'm concerned, you know, he's he's good at that kind of thing. I mean, I think he's, you know, he's a good guy to have there. He's a calming presence. But I think Jason Castro is, too. Both of these guys are veterans. They've been around a long time. They know what they're doing. They've taken teams to the playoffs before uh, as a starter. And, you know, I, I just feel like why not try Castro there a little bit more often? If it if it doesn't work out, if things aren't going well, you can always go back. But I, I don't think there's a huge difference Neither guy is Johnny Bench as far as a defensive player or an offensive player. So why not? And I don't understand Dusty sometimes. He gets caught up in what he's seen a guy do as opposed to 
Let's look at the back of his baseball card. We know who this guy is. Yeah, and I know you and Jimmy talked a lot about, you know, Dusty's old school. And you and I have been talking about that for the most of the podcast over the last year or so. So, I, But I think, honestly, it's just something that's going to have to play out. I, I just, I have my doubts as, you know, the, the wear and tear on Maldonado. You know, he's not 40 years old, but he's not a young guy either. I just think they're, they're going to have to give Castro more action as the season goes along. Just so everybody knows and remembers, we're talking Monday morning before the week starts, and he's at 312 for an OPS, 094 Ouch. batting average, uh, 171 on-base percentage, 141 slugging percentage. He struck out 29 times in 64 at-bats. It's half the time he's striking out, so... There's a lot of issues. Six walks to 29 strikeouts is not that great of a ratio. Now, there is good news, though, this week for the Astros as far as the pitching goes. Fromber, way ahead of schedule. Steven, sounds like he might be back maybe before the end of the month, but at least by June for sure. Yeah, from what I've been hearing, it looks like June might be the more realistic standpoint. But I tell you what. I'll take June over what was initially thought that he might be out for most of, if not the entire season, because boy, do the Astros need him. Now it might take a little time for him to round into shape like most pitchers do. I I don't know if we could expect Fromber to be the Fromber of last year right off the bat, but I tell you what, even if he's, even if he's decent, Robert, you'll take it. I mean, this is the guy that's supposed to be your new ace coming in here. Uh, It just, just the fact that you might have him back in June, Man, what a boost that would be to that pitching staff. Pedro Baez is not going to be back until June 9th at the earliest. That sucks. Mentioned it briefly last week, but it's worth saying again because this bullpen needs him. It needs Paredes, who should be back soon. Uh, Not the Anoli Paredes that we saw earlier this season. Yeah, hopefully the one we saw last year will be back soon. The other thing is, from what James Click said, sounds like before long... Odorizzi should be starting a game actually by the next homestand. And then Josh James is on pace to be back by early June with Austin Pruitt right behind him. Yeah, that is certainly good news. And, uh, you know, especially with, as we said, this bullpen has really struggled. You know, you get some of these guys back. And, and the good news, too, Robert, is with the minor league season starting, you know, you can get some of these guys who are about to come back, give them some rehab assignments in the minors, get them up to speed and when they're ready. You bring them up and maybe they can be more effective rather than just sending them to the alternate training side and having simulated games. I mean, those, you know, those are fine. They help, but there's nothing like real competition, even if it is at the minor league level. So I think that alone is is going to be great. You know, and then you've had guys like Kenny Manuel come up and be effective. So all is not lost as far as the Astros pitching and bullpen is concerned. You know, as far as Odorizzi, I, I just I always cringe when I hear about these forearm issues. I know you and Jimmy talked about that as well, Robert. Let's keep our fingers crossed and pray that it is not something that's going to be the forerunner to Tommy John surgery. Because, man, I mean, they, you know, the Astros signed Baez, they've signed Odorizzi, and both these guys have been out with injuries, and they were counting on both of them to give you some quality innings. You know, both in the rotation. And in the bullpen. Right. And I think Fromber coming back is way bigger news than Odorizzi having any long-term issues. And I, I just want to say about Josh James, not that I'm super excited about Josh James anymore, but at least he gives you another option, another arm uh, in a pinch. And, and maybe 
you know, something changes. His DNA changes a little bit. He's a different guy this year, but it gives you an option. I am excited about Austin Pruitt, though, because we, we've never seen him. And I just I'm like, well, what is he like? Uh, can he help? I mean, is, is he somebody that, you know, long term could be a good middle reliever because they need some options because, you know, we've seen struggles, big time struggles from guys like Joe Smith and Blake Taylor is, you know, now out and wasn't pitching. I mean, you need arms and the more arms you got, the better. Well, and that's the good news, Robert, is, I mean, the Astros do have a lot of pitching now. Is it all good pitching? No, not really. You know, some of these guys, and this was kind of what I was afraid of, is some of these guys have kind of regressed to the mean, you know, Paredes being an example before he got injured, he was not the Anoli Paredes of, of last year. Same with Blake Taylor. You know, Brooks Raley, I think we're starting to see who Brooks Raley has been, a journeyman. He's had a couple of good outings recently, but I, I just, I'm not so sure about him on the long term. Joe Smith, I mean, Joe Smith has struggled, but I think the last couple of outings he's been in there, he's, he's certainly pitched much better. I think he will round out, and they certainly need him to, you know, especially in the late innings when the Astros have had so much trouble. So that's the good news is that we've got a lot of options of these guys coming back. You you don't know that all of them are going to pan out and be effective, but even a few of them is better than what we've had now. Anything else for you? I mean, you mentioned the Yankee series and the booing, and I just, I don't care anymore about the booing. Well, it's something that we, you know, we're going to, it's going to be expected. I, I think it's just the, the hype of the series and how are the Astros going to play and, and all that. But yeah, it's not anything that we didn't already know. But, you know, the Astros, it, it, one of the things I have noticed too, before we move on, is the fact that their offense rounding into shape when they were struggling, they just could not, could not hit with runners on base or with two outs. Well, they've been doing both of those. And it's kind of ironic that Tampa Bay was having the same problem that the Astros were having in their struggles. They couldn't get runners around to score. They got them on base, but they couldn't get them around to score to save their lives. So it was, it was kind of nice to see another team for a change, have the kind of struggles that the Astros were having and the Astros were, taking advantage of that by scoring runners and scoring position and getting hits with two outs. Yeah. Tampa wasn't the house of horrors that it normally is. Sunday was not that great, but uh, Tampa doesn't look like the same team that went all the way to the American league championship series last year. That's for sure. Uh, let's go to the Rockets because like everybody else, I was excited to see Kevin Porter put up 50 points against Milwaukee. Did that surprise you, Steven? Or what did you think when you saw that? Yeah, I certainly wasn't expecting a 50-point game out of Kevin Porter Jr. I, I was expecting better play. So does that give, I guess, does that give more credence to the guys that have compared him to James Harden because now he's actually done something <laughs> that James Harden has done? He scored 50 points? That was the first thought. It's like, oh, boy, th this only gives more ammunition to the guys who keep comparing him to James Harden. Um, I'm still not ready to do that. But in a season that has been absolutely abysmal for the Rockets, by golly, Robert, I'll take it. I will take it. Yeah, let me address uh, Twitter because they were all pissy because I said, you know, a few weeks ago that I thought Kevin Porter could be out of the league in a year or two uh, because of a number of things. And, and, I, and let me just start off by saying, I want Kevin Porter to do well. Obviously, I'm a Rockets fan. I host the Houston Sports Podcast. I talk about this stuff every week. I want them to do well. You can hear it in my voice about the Texans or the Astros or all the teams. I want these teams to do well. I've rooted for the Rockets for 40 plus years, but you know, one game 
does not make anything for an NBA player. Corey Brewer had a 50-point game. Uh, Terrence Davis or Terrence somebody had a – somebody that you wouldn't even – you're like, who? He had a Terrence Ross, I think, had a 50-point game. Yeah. You, you can have a 50-point game. You can have one good game in the NBA. It doesn't mean that it solves all the issues. And look, I watch Kevin Porter, and it's the same stuff. You know, that game was great. Okay, he got hot shooting, which he's been terrible shooting his entire this entire season and for pretty much his career. He's not a good shooter from two point range or three point range. But here's the the deal with Kevin Porter. What I still see is he's on his heels. He's not hustling back on defense a lot of the time after he misses a shot or after a turnover. There was one play in the Knicks game on Sunday night where he didn't get back and they were pointing it out. Like he's not getting, why is he not getting back on defense, get, giving the Knicks a five on four. And luckily somehow the Rockets played good enough defense to get the ball away. And Kevin Porter cherry picked the basket and they're like, Oh, he got lucky. And it's like, yeah, that's called being lucky because he doesn't get back on defense. You're a worse team. And you know, there's this is saying that uh, I think I'm going to credit it to Barkley. It might've been Kenny Smith. But they always talk about the guys that get points when everybody on the team is bad or when the team is bad or when they're not winning games. And they call it the looter in a riot. And maybe that's not the best choice of words these days. However, Stephen, I mean, that's what Kevin Porter seems like a lot to me is he's getting points because the Rockets, they got to get points somehow. You're going to get some points in an NBA game. And if you shoot the ball enough, the ball's going to go in. He has flashes where his passing looks extraordinary or where he's hitting some cool looking shots. But the issue with Kevin Porter remains the same. He's got terrible habits that have to change and habits are hard to change once you get to the NBA. Well, and and I keep saying this, Robert, I think a lot of that is in his head. I, I just don't feel like Kevin Porter Jr. has the mental, I'm not saying the mental capacity. I think he has the mental capacity, but the mental fortitude to work hard enough to be the kind of smart player that you need him to be. I, I just think a lot of it, he, he's got the talent, but again, you know, potential doesn't mean anything until it's realized. And as far as, you know, having the game of your life, look, I, I used to bowl a lot, Robert. And, you know, on average, I was probably, you know, 20, 30, mostly gutter balls. There's one day that I bowled a 145. I still don't understand how I did that. But I didn't exactly, you know, the PBA tour wasn't calling me to sign up. So, you know, it, one great game does not define a player any more than one great year really does. I just, I, I need to see more consistency out of Kevin Porter Jr. As you said, he has flashes, but you got to put a consistent game together if he's going to be a real help to the Rockets. And as you say, if he's going to be in the league by next year or the year after, you not only said it on Twitter, you said it on this podcast too a couple weeks ago. Yeah, uh, if he's going to be in the league and you're going to be bringing in first-round picks that want to play defense, that are playing nonstop, that aren't playing, you know, like I, I just get this position because guess what? You got nobody else on this roster. I mean, what's Steven Silas going to do? He can't threaten him with Anthony Lamb. He can't threaten him with Avery Bradley. Of course Kevin Porter Jr. is going to be playing 35 minutes a game. There's no threat to him right now. And once there starts to be threats, then it's, okay, are you going to play defense? Are you going to stop throwing the ball away with these stupid turnovers? Are you, are you going to work on this shot to where you're not shooting 
30% from three or what, whatever, where guys are just saying they're daring you. They're saying, okay, I dare you to make a 25 or 23 foot or a three pointer, or, you know, even an 18 to 20 footer. Cause that's what they do. They sit three, four five feet off of them. And they're like, yeah, I'm not going to get blown by. You're going to have to shoot the shot and you're going to have to make it before I can start respecting that. And that stuff has got to start happening, but it's, it's, it's all of these little things. It's the defense. It's the, the, he's on his heels instead of on his toes in big parts of the possession. And that's not really the identity of any great players that I know. I mean, LeBron could get away with it sometimes, but guess what, dude, you're not LeBron. No, you're not LeBron and you're not the other James, uh, James Harden. So, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think we just, we need to see more consistency. And I, honestly though, Robert, I don't know about you, but I can't wait for this rocket season to end. It's just, it's been horrible. It's just one thing after another, you know, they playing with eight guys. Most of the time so shorthanded. They got a, a couple of guys that, you know, may come back Daniel house jr. Maybe, you know, a couple others before the season's over, but what do they have seven games at the time we're recording this left. So there just isn't a lot to, to hang on to for the rest of this rocket season. Also, one thing that I'm noticing about these young Rocket players is they badly need to get in shape. Get in shape, guys, because there are times where everybody, all of the young players, run out of gas, except for Deshaun Tate, Deshaun Tate who, who's, you know, he's in incredible shape and he's been amazing all season. But you can't blame the long season because nobody except Deshaun Tate has played that many games. Christian Wood needs to do some work in the offseason, especially if he's going to keep telling us, hey, I'm a max guy, I'm an all-star, I'm this, I'm that. You can't be running out of gas in the second half, which he looks to be doing a lot, especially when you miss 20 games. And, I, you know, you're short in season, whatever. He's missed 20 games already. You also can't be pushed around in the paint as easily as that happens on a nightly basis. And, Stephen... I'm just going to point this out too. You know, Christian Woods, a young player, 25, but hey, Jason Tatum is younger than he is. There's a Donovan Mitchell. There are a lot of these superstars that are younger that understand, hey, I've got to be in shape. Hey, I need to get stronger in my lower body. These are things that he should know by now after going through five NBA teams and on and off rosters. Hey, maybe I need to like really work on some things. And, you know, maybe he's worked on other stuff, but that's the next step for him. Well, and you would think that would have motivated him, you know, when he was cut by the Chinese team and when the Pistons, you know, decided not to have enough confidence in him moving forward, that that would be, he did work on some aspects of his game. But yeah, the rounding and shape thing is a big deal. And I think one of the other issues too, Robert, is, you know, the Rockets have spent most of the season getting off to such slow starts and then trying to come back in the second half you know, you run out of gas faster when you're trying to fight uphill as much as anything. So that doesn't help either. And some of these injuries, who knows where some of that could have been from just a lack of being in shape. Some of them are freak injuries. But yeah, the, the conditioning factor is a big deal. You know, especially if the Rockets, they're not going to be making the playoffs. But what if they were? You know, these guys need to understand that this is, yeah, and it's even a shorter season. What are they playing? 70 games? They're not even playing 82 and the Rockets aren't going to be in the playoffs, but you get into a, a full regular season when you got 82 games, you've got some preseason games a little bit there before that. And then if you make the playoffs, 
yeah, you, you definitely have to be in shape all the way through from beginning to end. You see it in somebody like a Kelly Olenek, who it doesn't seem like his play drops off from period to period. I put up on Twitter that Kelly Olenek, if you look in his career, it's a very interesting stat. The more he plays, the better his true shooting percentage is. So from like 10 to 19 minutes, you know, his shoot, true shooting percentage isn't as good as it is from 20 to 29. And then it gets better from 30 to 39. And even when he's playing over 39 minutes in a game, which not a big sample size, but it gets even better. And and Kelly Olenek should be the perfect example for these guys that, hey, I, I, I need to be in his type of shape. I have to be more consistent. My play level cannot go from game to game where it's up and down and my energy level's up and down. I've got to keep doing it. And that guy just, he's a nonstop guy. He's not always perfect, but you can count on him giving it to you at a certain level at all times. And I'm never sad to see Kelly Olenek out on the basketball floor doing what he does. Yeah, I think we've talked before about Kelly Olenek's work ethic. And I, I just, I sure hope we see him in a Rockets uniform next year. I don't know if it's going to happen, but he's one guy I'm rooting for to be part of this team, especially in a rebuild situation. We need veteran guys like that, you know, who not only just provide some quality minutes off the bench or whatever he's needed, but just the work ethic, the leadership. I think Kelly Olenek provides those qualities, and that is so needed in a team that you just, you know, have to gut it basically and start all over again. Well, you said it earlier in the show, we got to go back to the draft because the Houston area guys, they had a fantastic draft. Uh, the guys that went either in the draft or free agency, congrats to them. I'm probably going to miss a couple of guys. I want to run down the list, but let's go through some names. And I could swear, Stephen, every time I flipped over to the draft, there was a kid in Houston celebrating. I, I was not watching wire-to-wire -wire draft coverage. I was keeping up on the Astros and the Rockets. But when I would go over there, I would see, oh, there's another guy. He's in Houston. He's at in Humble. He's in Atascacita. He's in Spring. And he's celebrating getting drafted. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice that. And, you know, it, it, it's sad that so many of them have gone to colleges outside the state. And that's that's where I've always said, you know, there's plenty of talent here in Texas. There's plenty of talent in Houston. But uh, the in-state teams, you got to start seeing more of those guys <laughs> stay in-state. Lots of them. But, yeah, you know, U of H had several players. Of course, Kellen Mond was drafted. Sam Ellinger, you know, going to the Colts, you know, in my part of the woods. I'm in Austin, of course. So I, I was really excited to see Sam drafted because I honestly wasn't sure he was going to get drafted just with some of the question marks he has and, uh, you know, whether I think he can be an NFL quarterback. I'm not so sure. But. Yeah, we, we'd be here all day, Robert, if we talked about all the guys who were just from Houston and from Texas who were drafted in this draft. Yeah, I teased it. And, and let me run through some of the names. And you said guys going out of state. Well, Episcopal had three guys that went in the draft. All of them went to college out of state. Wide receiver Jalen Waddell goes to the Dolphins. Offensive tackle Walker Little goes to the Jaguars. And undrafted defensive end Marvin Wilson goes to the Browns, UH and Westside High School alum, defensive end Peyton Turner to the Saints, who snuck into the first round. Might have surprised some people with that. Oak Ridge High and UT Longhorn linebacker Joseph Asai to the Bengals, UH Cougar wide receiver Marquez Stevenson to the Bills, a burner, uh, A-Leaf Taylor and UT wide receiver Brennan Eagles to the Cowboys, 
would have been fun if he went to the Eagles, but yeah, he's an Eagles going to be a cowboy. Um, Stratford running back Rakeem Boyd, a guy I covered in high school, is going to the Chargers. Belair safety Donovan Steiner to the Steelers. Clemens offensive tackle Rashawn Slater to the Chargers. Texas Aggie and Klein Oak center Ryan McCollum signed as a free agent with the hometown Texans. And hey. then Manville quarterback Kyle Trask, Eisenhower wide receiver Jalen Darden, and UH and Oak Ridge linebacker Grant Stewart, all three of those guys, end up with the Buccaneers, the defending champions. Stewart is actually a tremendous story, Stephen. Did you read about him at all? Yes, I did. Uh, Grant Stewart was this year's Mr. Irrelevant. And if people forget, he's the last pick of the draft. That's Mr. Irrelevant. His mom was a drug addict who used to work in the sex industry. His dad was in prison most of his life. He bounced from home to home growing up. You know, sometimes he didn't even know what school he was going to go to. Get this, during his pro day, he raised money for Heels to Halos, which is a Christian organization that helps women who are involved with sex trafficking. He asked fans to pledge donations for each rep he performed on the bench press, raised over $5,000, also put on a toy drives, back to school stuff. I mean, just an amazing story and a guy that's already giving back even before he gets into the NFL. You know, as much as the talent of, of who's going to get picked where, Robert, I think it's the stories that are just as exciting. When you when you see where some of these guys came from, you know, Grant Stewart, a definite example, you know, certainly from a local standpoint, there are plenty of other guys uh, across the country. You just... You love reading their stories. You, those are the guys you want to root for because to, 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 I can't even imagine some of the things that they went through in their childhood where uh, many of them would have wilted, would have given up. These guys persevered, and now they've actually fulfilled their dream of at least getting drafted in the NFL. Now, whether their playing careers turn out or not, at this point, it doesn't matter. They made it. They got drafted. So, yeah, congratulations, Grant Stewart and and all those guys you just mentioned who at least now have a chance to make it in the NFL. Like I said, I might have missed some guys, but what a list that is just right there. And outside of the draft, kind of got lost in the shuffle of everything that's been going on over the last few days. This is a really cool note for TSU basketball. Did you hear who they signed this weekend? I missed that story, actually. They signed Shakir O'Neal, Shaq's son. He's a three-star recruit. Pretty good recruit for TSU, but we might see Shaq at some TSU games this hey, year. You very well might. Yeah, you might see Shaq and then his son Shaq. I wonder if he's going to go by Shaq, but hey, that's a great pickup. And, you know, TSU basketball, I mean, they they made the tournament at least the play-in, so they're up and coming. I mean, they're doing well. Houston local basketball, at least on the college level, when you talk about UH and now TSU. So, yeah, that's going to be a name to keep an eye on, Shakir O'Neal. Anything else that, because uh, you've missed a couple of weeks. I, was there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about within the last two weeks that you wanted to hit on? I'm excited about minor league baseball because I'm a big minor league baseball fan. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on Sugarland and Corpus Christi to see how some of these guys, like uh, Pedro Leon, you know, there's been a lot of talk about him. He's going to probably start out in uh, AA Corpus Christi, you know, and then some of these guys in AAA that uh, you might have actually been with the big club, but they're they're going to be starting in the minors when the season begins this week. So yeah, I'm real excited about minor league baseball starting. It, it it seems like not a big deal, but it is a big deal when you start seeing some of these guys being brought up to the big club 
So I'm going to be keeping an eye out and see some of these uh, possibly future Astros. Yeah, the Skeeters start up this week. They're on the road this Thursday. week. Thursday, yeah. Yeah, it's Thursday. They're playing Albuquerque. They're on the road for the first few games, and they go from Albuquerque to Round Rock, the former Astro affiliate team. And they're going to have six games. It's going to be six-game series, these first two series. That's actually going to be the norm, I think, the whole season as they're just trying to uh, diminish the travel. And there's even some talk, if it's successful, they, they might even continue it beyond the 2021 season. So May the 20th, it's still a couple of weeks away now, but May the 20th is the first Skeeters game at home. They face El Paso, but then they're going to be home for a while. So you'll see El, pa- El Paso in a six-game series. Uh, then you'll see Albuquerque. So you got a really good chance at that point to come out and see potentially Tyler Ivey, who is somebody that, you know, Astros future talked about Jimmy Price as the best pitching prospect in the organization now. Yeah, I like his stuff. I mean, he showed some flashes in spring training that he could be a really good pitcher. So he's definitely to keep an eye, a name to keep an eye on. Pedro Leon, as I mentioned. So, Robert, I tell you, I envy you. Because I live in Austin, and yeah, I can go see Round Rock Express games. In fact, I have seen a number of those. But man, being in Houston and being a baseball fan, how could you get better than going to see some Astros games? And then when they're on the road, you can just go right down the street to Sugarland and watch the Skeeters play. I mean, how, how much better can that get? Yeah, that's ex- – I mean, I love minor league baseball because it's just – the you feel like it's old-fashioned baseball. It, 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 you got like this atmosphere that's more kind of what you think of it when you think of like, oh, it's kind of old-school baseball without – some of the issues that, you know, old fashioned baseball used to have with no lighting and, you know, ugly looking baseballs that you couldn't see it because <laughs> they were so scratched up or whatever. But the the best thing about minor league baseball is you don't have those long television breaks between the innings and that helps too. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, they're also the ones that are experimenting with some of the rules changes now, you know, not happy with all of that, but it's just a different, it, it's, as you said, it's the atmosphere. It's the experience as much as the game. And let's face it, these guys literally are playing for their livelihoods because if they don't succeed, they're never getting to the major leagues. So there's just there's just an intensity to the minor leagues and, and an atmosphere that you, you're not going to see anywhere else in some cases, even in the major leagues. So, yeah, definitely excited that, that minor league baseball is starting this week. So, yeah, a lot of cool stuff going on with the Astros playing well. Uh, unfortunately the Rockets, uh, not so much. And they're limping towards the end of the season. And just, uh, now it's wait and see for the draft and the draft's not till the draft lottery's not till June. I should say that's where you really want to pay attention is the draft lottery more important, uh, than the draft until the Rockets, uh, you know, have the potential to hold on to that pick or not. Uh, before I wrap things up, just a reminder that you can listen to us every week. We've been doing this for almost eight years now uh talking astros rockets texans houston cougars everything going on in houston sports Uh, check our library for some fun interviews especially uh last year not so much in the last few months but uh last year did some great sort of throwback thursdays some of our better interviews over the last few years as always you can reach us on twitter facebook or email info at houstonsportstalk.net that's info at houstonsportstalk.net go into the show description for that In the meantime, until we see you again, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.